Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Sometimes, like, the answer is Wendy's. Sometimes the answer is, like, yeah, I just went to McDonald's. Like, that was the best I could do. That was better than not eating. And I think there's a lesson in there, and I kind of came to this conclusion myself, and it's you don't have to assess every single thing. Like, was that bad? Was that good? It just was, and you can move on the next day. And, like, if you need to say, you know, something small, like, I rarely eat fast food to make yourself feel better, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to get a really nutrient-dense few meals in. That's fine. It doesn't need to be this, like, thing. Welcome back to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. This is Meredith. This is like a common thing, but have you ever been in a situation that isn't exactly what you want it to be? Maybe you're out to dinner and you had planned on tracking your food and all of a sudden you can't because your friend picked the place and it's impossible. So you think like, well, I can't track it. So what's the point? I'll just eat whatever. Or maybe you realize you only have time for a 30 minute workout instead of a 60 or 90 minute workout. So you just decide, screw it. I'm not going to work out at all because it doesn't matter. Those are two examples of the all or nothing mindset, which is actually a very common thing that people struggle with. So on today's episode, we're bringing our coach and friend Angie Craig back on the show to talk about the all or nothing mindset, what it is, why it happens, how it affects people, and then what you can do to start breaking out of that pattern. We think this is a very important episode, full of useful information, and we hope that you get something out of it too. Angie Craig. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. We're happy to have you. Your your first episode that we recorded, gosh, like I think back in the spring or at the beginning of the summer was really well received. And so we've been kind of anxious to have you back on ever mm-hmm. since then. Yeah. How's everything going? Things are going good. I guess since we last chatted on the podcast, <laughs> I officially got my degree, which is yep. awesome. So now just getting things lined up for my state certification exam and all that fun stuff, more studying. So the certification exam, what does that allow you to do? So it allows me to practice, if I wanted to, medical nutrition therapy in the state of New York. Nice. Seems like a good thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. They only offer this test twice a year, June and December. So I just, I really don't feel like taking it, but if I don't do it now, then I got to wait till June and that's going to be even worse. Yeah. You're like further removed from the information. So medical nutrition would be working like clinically in a hospital. What kind of work would that be most likely? It'd be like, you know, working with diabetics or people with kidney issues, things along those lines or anyone like cancer, if I wanted to go down that route too. Yeah. Any like feeding tube kind of like good nutrition thing? Yeah. All that jazz. Probably not as much as like a registered dietitian, just because their training's a little bit different than mine, but it would allow me to do that. Yeah randomly, we get all kinds of DMs on the tactic account. And this person reached out and their father was in the hospital for some sort of cancer, I think. And he was on a feeding tube and she was telling me the breakdown of what they were giving him. And she's like, this just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I know that you'll have advice to give. So I was just wondering what you thought. And I was like, oh, no, that is so far out of my scope. (laughs) Yeah, it was basically like, I can't do anything. I'm sorry. (laughs) But... Hopefully he's doing okay now. 
Anyways, we wanted to, sorry, my back. <laughs> we, I, I did like front squats today and I don't know if you've ever like knocked your front rib out of place, but that's what's going on. And so it's like oh, randomly spasming. Anyways, we wanted to bring you on the show today to talk about something that we've talked about offline a few times. And I think anyone who works with clients in nutrition or lifestyle coaching or fitness probably runs into this. And it's the all or nothing mindset and how that shows up for people. So like, why is this an important topic to you? Why do you think that it deserves to be on a, a podcast or kind of front of mind for people? Yeah. So as I started getting deeper into nutrition coaching and my time with you guys here at Tactic in the past year, it's just come up a lot. And I realized that this way of thinking is really holding people back from one, like having, getting, reaching their goals, but also just life in general, this idea that they're a failure if they don't succeed. And then if one thing goes wrong, there's just no recovery. There's just, nope, I'm out and I quit. And, you know, it's kind of, it made me, you know, to be honest, sad a little bit. Cause I was like, no, we have to kind of figure out this way of thinking because it's going to impact a lot more than just your goal right now. It's going to impact a lot of things in life in general. So I just kind of dove into it, did a lot of research on it. And I was surprised how much actual like research there was on it, real scientific research, not just a random blog <laughs> on the internet. I mean, it's like a legitimate, like logical fallacy, I think. Like it's recognized. I think it's been implicated in like certain neuroses and like mental health conditions even. So yeah, I know when I was reading, I was like, dang, this is kind of scary. They call it a cognitive distortion. Yes. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> When you think about it, it, it makes sense, though. There is a, a cognitive, like a dissociation or dissonance with it between, you know, what is actually true and what reality is and then what the reality that this person is experiencing and what their kind of extreme beliefs are and then how that literally affects the way that people live their lives and the decisions that they make and the things that they do. So I think like even though it sounds really extreme, I think that that is very accurate if we're being honest with what it is. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, I hope like that doesn't scare anyone being like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. <laughs> but I think it helps people realize like, oh, like this is not uncommon. Like this isn't just something that I am like, like, you know, a lot of people go through the same motions and have the same thought patterns and that there's actual research about it. To me, like it just helped me feel like I was less alone in this sort of way of thinking that there is a way to work through it. It's funny the people who describe themselves as like all or nothing people, they know it's, to say it one way, an issue. It's something that they want to work on because they can see it derailing their progress. But some people, I think, who haven't really necessarily been able to reframe it in that way and like address it, they like to think of it as like, I'm a perfectionist or I'm type A. And those things historically have been like a positive traits. I think for some people, it's like there's something they're proud of. And the other day we Googled type A personality. I'm sure there's a bunch of different definitions, but some people like, including myself, I'm like, oh, I'm type A, you know, like, oh, I'm type A. I'm like superior. But then you actually, you look it up and it's like pattern of behavior and personality associated with high achievement, competitiveness, impatience. And it's like a bunch of other stuff. That's like not the greatest description of somebody like, you know, like, do I want to be friends with that person? Not really. And it's the same thing with perfectionism. The more you look into it, it's kind of like we said on a post, like, did you ever notice that like perfectionists aren't actually that perfect? And, you know, it can lead to like dissatisfaction, procrastination, because they're so afraid of not doing it perfect that they don't do it at all. And that is the all or nothing mindset. It's not necessarily described in a more of a negative light or something that would want to be a work in progress. So I feel like this is kind of a good way to kind of approach the subject in a 
productive way. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, like it impacting progress. Like how do you see it show up for people most often from like a client standpoint? Yeah. So this easy one's like, I went out to dinner and I went over my calorie goal. So therefore I'm just not going to track for the rest of the week or someone brought cupcakes into work and I had one and, you know, totally derailed my perfect macros for the day. And I just went home and ate whatever I wanted because it didn't matter. Like I already ruined it, that sort of thing. So in more specific terms, like what is the all or nothing mindset? Yeah. So it's a dichotomous way of thinking and it's actually, it's made to help people feel like they're protecting themselves. It's like just a protective mechanism. Like people don't want to fail. And so they come up with this way of thinking in terms of like, if I do things one, two, three, ABC in this sort of order, like things are going to happen perfectly. I'm going to get to my goal and nothing is going to derail me from that. But then what happens is that, you know, life isn't perfect and things happen. And when that person gets to a situation where they're a little bit derailed, then they feel like they have to give up and throw in the towel because there's no recovering from it. Yeah, because they went off of that plan. And I think it's like most logical fallacies. It's meant to simplify something that's actually like very complex. You see this a lot in like conspiracy theories, like a lot of those theories, they sound ridiculous, right? Like the forest fires being started by lasers. Because even though it's ridiculous, it's a lot easier to conceptualize like a simple, even if it is ridiculous explanation of like the reason why something is happening or something is not happening, than it is to recognize that the root cause of most things in life are actually like very complex. And it's hard to pin down, you know, what causes certain outcomes if you can even ever pin them down at all. So that happens, I mean, even with physical progress, with nutrition, with fitness, like what goes into someone's success there's a lot more than just like following a stepwise plan, but it's also, I mean, because people ask us this all the time, it's hard to explain exactly what it is. Like I can't just boil down a successful person into like two or three character traits and say, if you just do everything the same way that they did, you'll have success because we're human beings. So it's like, it gives people something that they can latch onto, but you're right. Like as soon as you're off the path or your track, it's like, I'm going to fail anyways, because I'm not doing the things that I think I should be doing. Yeah. And I think it's a, I don't want this to sound like a excuse, I guess. Well, I almost feel like it can be used as an excuse. Like, well, you know, you're talking up this goal, you have this big goal, you know, we'll just use weight because that's kind of the most common one, but you have this weight loss goal and you're doing all these things. And when you don't necessarily reach that goal or something happens and it's easy to blame the cause. Like the cause was these cupcakes that someone brought into work instead of kind of digging a little bit deeper and being able to find ways to work around that and having to make things a little bit more complicated for yourself initially, because it's just easy to stay on plan, but it's a lot harder to have to take that next step of having to like, well, I ate that cupcake. So how can I fix this? It's a lot more active process and it's almost tiring. So it can be an easy way for people to just have that excuse of not making their goal or why they're going off plan, things like yeah, that. Yeah. And then it becomes like, I'll just start fresh tomorrow or I'll start fresh on Monday. And, but then that becomes quite cyclical for people. I think that's why a lot of people like meal plans or like the idea of meal plans. It perpetuates just all or nothing mentality. It fits into their idea of like, what nutrition is for them. And it like straight up, if someone says like, I need a meal plan, it's like, uh, no, no. Like we would never do that because it just goes against our like core belief of 
what nutrition is. Like, you know, even when people describe our coaching as a program, I'm like, it's not a program, it's coaching. And it's like you said, Angie, it's a very active process. It's figuring out like, okay, if this happens, if you have a cupcake, like, how do you manage that? How do you still achieve the goal for the day or like the long-term goal or have it align with your goals or your values? And I think with nutrition, there are so many ways of going about achieving a goal, even the same goal. Like I have somebody who you know, we'll achieve a weight loss goal by tracking every single day. And, you know, the the food quality may vary day to day, but they're hitting their macros. And then I have other people who are achieving weight loss goals without tracking at all. So I'm like, you can't even define it. And I think nutrition's complicated because it's not something like substance abuse where it is often all or nothing. We're like, okay, I'm going to go and stop drinking or I'm going to stop, you know, doing this. And then you maybe have a drink and it it can, I don't know a lot about addiction, but from what I do know, you kind of like, snowball to a degree, hopefully not. But with nutrition, it's always in your life. You can't go cold turkey with nutrition. Like you have to be able to navigate it. And if it's all or nothing, it's just, it's food rules. All or nothing means so many different things. It's just so complicated. Nutrition is just a beast when it comes to this topic. Mm -hmm. For sure. So what are some like common signs of all or nothing mindset? Yeah. Like statements that people make or actions that they're doing. So giving up easily, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Like you have a cupcake and you just decide that the whole day's ruined. Kind of making these sweeping broad generalizations. So if I eat this cupcake, I'm going to get fat. Difficulty seeing like how well you've done. So this is a big one I've seen with my clients. So all these positive things are happening with working with us and these lifestyle changes, like eating more vegetables, hitting their protein, drinking water, moving more, and they're sleeping better. They have more energy. Their quality of life is just higher. And then they go step on the scale and the scale doesn't move. Then it's just like, you know, all that was for nothing. So that's the biggest one that I see. If it's not done hundred percent, it means you failed. So you track four out of the seven days this week. And that means you failed where really, you know, you weren't really tracking before at all. So this is one step in the right direction. The slightest mistake is the biggest deal. You know, my fitness pal is notorious for all these random foods. And then you realize halfway through the week, you logged the wrong type of chicken and you actually blew your fat out of the water for the week. So you just feel like, you know, this is the end of the world. Everything you're doing is all for nothing. Never statements is another big one. So you know, you, you gain a little bit of weight after eating Chinese food one night. Like that means you're never going to lose weight. And then you can't really imagine a positive outcome, you know, especially with weight loss and having a goal weight. If you don't get to that goal weight, you feel like the whole thing was for nothing. When in reality, there's a lot of positive things that aren't, you know, a number on the scale to tell you that things were working. Those are the big and I ones. I think with all of those, there's kind of like an underlying timeline associated with progress. And a lot of folks who have this kind of all or nothing perfectionism, like they want specific results on a specific timeline. And so and that also invites in failure or, you know, I haven't lost weight in two weeks. I'm never going to lose weight like that starts to complicate things. The one that I see in, and it makes me the most sad is the willingness to look past other forms of progress. And that's something that, you know, we work really hard on clients, especially when progress is slow, which for a lot of people, weight loss, weight change, progress is slow, physical change is slow. So we really work with people to start to recognize progress in other areas. So gym progress, how you're feeling, overall mood, quality of sleep, all of those things. And when people are willing to just look past that after a moment, when like one specific data point hasn't changed, 
It's like you're just losing the forest for the trees in that point. Because really, the prerequisite for physical change are all of those things. You're going to change in a lot of different ways. And then your weight and your physical change is going to be the last thing that changes. And it's not going to change when you want it to. It's going to go the other direction sometimes. So you kind of have to like work to detach your understanding of progress from that data point and people just won't do it. hundred mm-hmm. percent. You know, and it gets me thinking too, I think that we love this sort of way of thinking because we're in the society of go big or go home and always being like productive to the extreme. And the only way we're going to be able to, you know, get to your goals if you keep working hard. And if you're not getting your goal, then you're not working hard enough. And I think this way of thinking helps people feel like they're achieving that sort of status that we idolize here. When in reality, that doesn't work for a lot of people. It can work for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. And I think kind of accepting that, that maybe this way of thinking may not work for you. And that if we just take a step back and reflect on that and how, what way of thinking can work for us is going to set us leaps and bounds. Yeah. I mean, that's especially true for women. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist for men because we see men struggle in the same ways too. But women just have this constant pressure to be, you know, career women, to be parents, to, you know, after they have babies, to get their pre-baby body back, like to do all of these things and all this pressure that comes from, you know, our society to just constantly be doing, like never relax, never rest, like you're never good enough. You know, a lot of that just straight up is not true, but it creates this sort of anxiety, like it's constant unsettled feeling if you're not doing more, like constantly more. And we see this all the time too. People who actually get themselves into a good pattern with fitness and with food and with lifestyle changes, they're like, hey, but what's next? And you're like, no, there is no next for you. Like what's next is that you chill out and like let this work. And people like, that's not enough. They're like, no, that's not enough. It's like, find something else in your life that gives you energy and allows you to focus more at work. Pick a work goal that nutrition supports. Find a hobby, something that is supported by nutrition. Maybe just they don't realize it yet. I was thinking the other day running, you heard of the term dad bod? Yeah. (laughs) And like, it's like just accepted that like, you know, Men who have families, like it's common. You don't have as much time to work out. You don't have as much time to like take care of yourself because you're taking care of other people, like legitimately growing babies. But like moms who, you know, not to get too gendered, I think moms tend to do a lot of the caretaking, especially early on with breastfeeding and stuff, if that's what they're doing. There's like mom bod is not a thing. It's not like, oh, I have my mom bod. It's like, it's the opposite. It's like, this is not acceptable. I have to get back to my pre-baby weight, just like Meredith said. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of comparison to like other moms. Or how did she do that? How is she doing this? Like, it's tough for women. Like, it's hard to avoid that, that realization or that reality. I don't know if you saw the Morning Chalk Up article that went up today. Emily Beers wrote an opinion piece on Tia Claire Toomey coming back into competition. And if you don't know CrossFit, Tia Claire Toomey is one of the best athletes that's ever been. And she had a baby back in May. And she's doing the Rogue Invitational at the end of this month, which is like an extremely fast recovery and return to competition. And there's, of course, like talk of her winning. And so the opinion piece is on you know, what precedent does that set? Like, what's the impact to women, to other mothers who already feel an enormous pressure to get their bodies back? And now you have Tia, who's not only like got her body back, but will be back in competition in like six months. And And this isn't just like the CrossFit Open. Mm -mm. This is like top of the top. This is like equivalent to the games competition. Yeah. And she's kind of expected to win it. Like, I don't know if she will, but 
I just thought that was a really interesting piece. And it's an interesting thing to think about, because on one hand, like, you know, you want people to do what makes them happy. And I don't think we want to put women in a box ever when it comes to athletics. But it does sort of set a precedent, like a new expectation, or it might put pressure on women in a different way. And, you know, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I think it's possible to hold the opinion that T is a really exceptional human being and, you know, kind of a freak and very impressive in a lot of ways, but also be worried about the impact to women's mental health, seeing that and being, you know, well, if Tia can do it, then why can't I do it kind of thing? I think too, early on, and this is kind of getting a little off topic, but again, it is about, you know, comparison. When Tia was pregnant and she was doing a lot of those workouts Mm. and people were talking about how like, oh, you know, she shouldn't be doing that. Or some people were like, you know, maybe she should be, she's this good of an athlete. So this isn't even that hard for her, blah, blah, blah. And I think it just, I don't know, it's tough. I'm not educated enough to make a call. I don't have an opinion on it, but it it does. It's like, you know, when people are like, this is inspirational and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's an elite athlete. Like she came into being pregnant in a completely different state than a lot, like every other woman, frankly. The comparison game is so brutal. If you're going to compare, and this is what I wished, is just that she's would be more open with the kind of support that she has. Because- she has more support than most women after they have babies. And that makes it gives her the time that she needs in the gym. It like allows her to recover. She doesn't have to be constantly like taking care of this kid, but she's not putting that out there. In fact, like what she's putting out there is, look, I'm working out with my baby or like, you know, I'm taking care of my baby in between sets. Like when that's not probably what is happening, it's just like what will make her money most likely. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't live her life, but that's just what I think. But it does have the effect of like probably making a lot of moms feel bad. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so is doing all this. I can't even get to the gym and do one workout a week. Exactly. Yeah. And thinking of that with like, in terms of like the all or nothing mindset, you know, really in reality, like just any movement for most of us is great, fantastic. And it's going to help move the needle. But, you know, if something happens and we can't get our lifting done or we don't have the hour anymore, we only have 15 minutes, then, you know, it's everything's out the window again. And then this cycle of shame and feeling like you're not going to ever reach your goals when in reality, like 15 minutes is better than nothing. I've definitely like as an athlete been in that kind of situation, like the shame cycle and you know, because I, I competed at a high level, Alex competed at a high level and 2020 was kind of a weird year. And then with work, like I've gone through a couple of phases where like I just can't get in workouts like I used to. Like I either have to really like call them down or miss them altogether just to like, you know, get some things done or I don't have the energy or whatever. It's so easy to slip into that shame cycle and just be like, you know, well, what's the point? You know, why do I suck? I used to be able to do this no problem and now I can't even get in there for an hour and get through a a workout with any amount of intensity. And I mean, like I slip into that mindset and I'm not someone who, like, I wouldn't say that I struggle with an all or nothing mindset really ever, but like, I know what that shame cycle is and that's baked into all or nothing that comes with it. It sucks. Like I had to walk myself out of that. Alex has helped me. Like it's a very active process to get out of that sort of toxic mental space and and just be like, look, like it moves the needle. It checks the box. Like you are someone who values this. Like you might not want to get up and do it, but getting up and doing something is going to be like, it's going to make you feel better. And it does. 
you know, it's a complicated thing. But I guess like in discussing the shame cycle, like how does this manifest for people like all or nothing? What does it show up? What are the results of kind of being an all or nothing person or struggling with this mindset? Yes, that was a great kind of segue into this because it is that shame. It causes increased stress. People do feel more depressed. Like they don't have any kind of sense of self-worth. They lose motivation. And then they avoid scenarios that could mean failure. So they avoid taking that, you know, step to, you know, could be whatever. It could be applying to a different job or it could be trying out for a race, something like that, where they, instead of kind of embracing that process, which we always talk about and trying something new, they're like, nope, I'm going to just not do any of that. And then in turn, all those emotions come back up. And I don't know if people realize that the thinking really is the cause of those emotions. I think a lot of times people feel like the emotions are because they didn't reach their goal. They didn't do things right. And when in reality, that black and white thinking, that's really causing the emotion behind it. Yeah. You think your way into emotions a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Either of you might know it. When you continually fail, like the more you fail the less like confidence you have in giving it another go. I can't remember what it's called. There's a concept. It's like, the more you fail, it's harder to succeed. And I think a lot of people who failed at dieting, when they try again, let's say they sign up for tactic and they're like, okay, this looks so different. And it's definitely nothing like I've ever tried before. I'm going to give it a go. And often when we have somebody start what they think is a program of tracking macros, when it's really, that's not it. Like tracking is just like a way to, to plan ahead and have your coach able to assess things to help you. As soon as they miss a day or fall off or go on vacation, it triggers this thing in their brain where it's like, okay, this has happened before. This is like, I've, I've fallen off. So I'm done now. Like this is when I fail. It's kind of like, I don't know that it, it's like a learned pattern. Yeah. It's not so much that like failure begets failure. I think it's that the way that people think about difficulty begets quitting. Like when people struggle and they don't know how to see themselves through that, then that has the same result over and over again. Yeah. It's not, it's like a, it's a habit. Yeah. A pattern. I think a pattern is a good way to describe it. Yeah. When like, it just, it's falling into that all or nothing and rather than just being like, hey, I've, I've, I've fallen off, but I'm going to get back on. And yeah. it's not even, I think getting rid of that language alone is really good. There's no off or on. Well, there's it's no just failure. Keep going, go, go forward. And like that yeah. can mean so many different things. There's no, like failure and success are two ways of looking at the same thing. Because if you like, if you realize that there is no such thing as failure, there's only learning. Mm -hmm. Like the failure is quitting. Like if you want to label something a failure, like struggling or messing up, or just not getting the outcome that you thought you might get, that's not failure. That's an opportunity to like hone your approach and continue moving forward. But using those things as an excuse to stop, that's a failure. Yeah. I had a, a client the other day, I said, well, what did you do well? And what do you feel like you could do better going into this week? And she said a couple of things she did well. And then she said something that she felt like she didn't do well. She was like, oh, I kind of failed at this. And it's funny when she described it, I can't remember the exact situation, but I read it through and I'm like, that actually sounds like a win. It was like, you know, I realized I couldn't log, so I didn't, but I was able to stay mindful and I was eating slowly and like all the things that we would say are big wins. And I'm like, this is actually a win. And it's all about 
I think what you said earlier is like looking at the things that are going well and reframing it, but it's not exactly what she feels defines success in that area. So if it's not success, then it's a failure, but there's no failure. Like it's learning and it's like, okay, so you, you know, you felt like this wasn't good. I feel like there were some good things in there, but what could you do differently for next time? And that's the learning piece. I don't know if you remember, we had our friend Shante on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Sometimes people will ask her, like, what's your biggest failure? And she's like, I've never failed. That doesn't mean she's never struggled, but she doesn't think about those things as failures. And I think if you can adopt that mindset, and we're going to talk about like how to see yourself out of the all or nothing mindset, but like, I think so many people could benefit from just like reconceptualizing or reframing what failure actually is. 100%. And I think, Alex, you brought up a good point about language. And I even myself have, I'm really trying to be very conscious about, about what I say to my clients when something happens, you know, you know, getting back on the wagon. Like, that's just an easy thing to say. Like when someone, you know, went away for the weekend or came back from vacation, be like, oh, okay, cool. Now it's time to get back on the wagon. Like, no, we're never off. And I think that definitely as coaches, we need to make sure that how we say these things doesn't get like misconstrued in any way, but also to help our clients catch those ways of thinking, because that is a limiting belief. That is an all or nothing mindset. And the more we can catch ourselves in those situations, the easier it is to kind of roll ourselves out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's funny that like the all or nothing shows up. And as coaches, you kind of learn to find them and you point them out gently to people. One example is I have a client and it's every time she associates going out with overeating. There's no going out for a meal and not, and it be like within calories or within the normal amount of food that she feels like she needs to support her goals. It just means overeating. And again, I think it's, it's not even like all or nothing. It's these like associations that we make as well. Like it's these like, yeah, like rules and associations and things that over time, they just are in your life. And it's, it's until to say like, well, why does that mean overeating? Like, you know, you can eat out and not eat more calories than you would at home. That's possible. It just takes a different approach because, you know, you can't weigh and measure. You don't know exactly. You don't know how they're cooking it and stuff, but it's those little things that you you have to catch, I think, to help someone say like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I, where did that come from? Kind of thing. Yeah. Thin. I hear that a lot when clients say like, oh, I'm working from home today. So I'm just going to be snacking all day. And it's like, well, why does that happen? Like, why does it mean that? And we, you know, we start to dive in because they're really not having the same breakfast that they usually do. They don't take the time for lunch. And then all of a sudden they're hungry and they're not recognizing it as hunger. They're recognizing it as like, oh, I'm just bored. I'm going to snack and, and things like that. So the more we can dive into those behaviors and how people, what people are saying, then the more we're going to recognize that all or nothing thinking. Angie, out of curiosity on a personal level, do you struggle with the all or nothing mindset or do you have to catch yourself in any certain situations? Oh, definitely worked on it. I think a lot the last year with having to balance school and, you know, trying to stay, keep my fitness up and with jobs and things like that, especially when I was studying for my test way in, in July, way in July, wasn't that long ago, but I still wanted to, you know, hit all my workouts at the same intensity and I realized, I remember I was doing one workout and I was like, this sucks. Like my head's not here. I'm thinking about how I have to go back home and study for three more hours before dinner and then five more hours after dinner. And 
I was like, well, I can't not work out. Like if I don't work out, then I'm going to spend eight weeks just, you know, going off the deep end and, you know, eat everything out of house and home and I'm going to lose my fitness. And that was where the biggest area for me recently where I had to be like, no, like, you know, even if you just move 30 minutes a day and make sure that your workouts make you feel good, not necessarily move, it all moves the needle, but, you know, even if it was just going in and just moving for 30 minutes and then leaving, then that was better than nothing. And to be honest, I came back to working out like even stronger because I just didn't let myself get pulled in about four different directions. I just pulled back a little bit and did what I could and kept the focus on what really was the priority at the time. Yeah. And I think that's a really good example of shifting, like you're operating not from a place of fear, like, but I think that's what that is. Like if I don't keep up my workouts, I'm going to lose my fitness. Like that's a fear that's doing something out of fear versus doing something that's a little more based in logic. And also like, because it feels good and it's something that you enjoy and you can say like, yeah, it, it might not look the way that it used to look, or it might not look the way that it did last month, but this is what I can do. Yeah. It's funny. I had to remind myself, like you actually like working out because you enjoy it. Like you don't have to go in here and like beat everyone in the gym or like beat your score from last week. Like, remember you, you started this cause you had fun. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, just remind yourself of those little things to make a big difference. So the all or nothing way of thinking, what does that cause for people? And, you know, why do people feel that way? Yeah. I think, you know, along with those emotions that we talked about being stressed or maybe a little bit depressed and not feeling like they have a lot of self-worth. I think they, and I guess we touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, kind of that the standard that we have in society of if we don't achieve our goals and we're a failure. And I think it doesn't really try to think how I want to say this. So it makes sense. I think we just feel that way. And we feel like that's the only option. We feel like things are a lot easier if things are black and white. And if they aren't black and white, then it's just either not worth pursuing or not worth that extra mental effort because yeah, we all have a lot of it on our plate. And when we go try to work on our goals, we want it to be as simple as possible. So, because we have so many other things we're trying to handle, you know, my, the first thing that comes to my mind are our moms, you know, they're usually running the house. They usually have kids to take care of, but they need their, their nutrition and their like fitness to be as black and white as possible. So they just have less thinking to do with it. Again, I think it kind of goes back to that standard that we have for women kind of getting their pre-baby body back and the expectation of the successful life that, you know, we're successful if we are a certain size and we're successful if we're working out five days a week and we're successful if we can have all the meal on the table at the same time every single day. So in the end, you know, I think that it just, if we can't hit those points, then it just causes, like we've said, shame and sadness and frustration and feeling like we're not worth going after those goals. And it's just not worth it if we don't get that goal. Yeah. I think people really like to think of things as like a zero sum game. Like you either are winning or you're losing. And I don't know where that comes from in our society. Maybe it's probably like a, social media. I mean, that's social media, but like, also we need to talk about this because I don't know. I, I look at a lot of families. I'm like, sorry to interrupt you, Meredith. It's okay. I look at families. Cause like, it wasn't until recently that we were kind of like, hey, we're not going to have kids or at least like not right now. 
But, you know, for a while there, we were still in a bit of the decision making phase. And I would look at photos and like people I follow with families on social media. I'm like, oh, it looks nice to have a family. Like, you know, look at how the two kids are cuddling together and stuff. And then you see like real life families and you're like, oh, my goodness, like that looks straight up like not not something I, I want at all. Like it's stressful even just to be around a family for a minute standing in a lineup. But you, I don't see that on social media. People aren't posting like videos of their kids fighting or screaming or crying. Like that's just one example talking about like moms and families and stuff. Yeah. I mean, another example is like the what I eat in a day things don't drive me insane because it's always these like beautiful meals and all plated. And you're like, I eat out of a bowl <laughs> and everything's mushed together. The same bowl. And if I went to take a picture of it, <laughs> yeah, like it's not going to look pretty. Yeah. It's the same thing with like, you know, workouts and people posting their best lifts and stuff. Like, yeah, it's, I think social media is a big factor. Yeah. And then the, I mean, the American society, like, mm-hmm. We're obsessed with sports. Like we have a two-party political system that is at each other's throats. Like it's just there's winners and there's losers, and it's put in your face all of the time. And it's so easy to project that onto the way that you live your life and you do things. Like there's either a good way to do things or there's a bad way to do things. There's a good food choice or there's a bad food choice. Like when really there's this whole middle in between section. Like it's not a zero sum game. There's a, an entire spectrum of outcomes that are still good. They're reasonable. They can fit in to your lifestyle. And I mean, or they're not even outcomes. It just is. It's just, yeah, your day, like decisions, some things went well, some things didn't like that's life. Yeah. But it's like everything that people do, they just put under the microscope and they're like, well, was that good? Or was that bad? Was that good? Or was that bad? And it's just like constant. I mean, I think that's just because what's put in front of your face all day. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess this culminates with the most helpful part of the podcast, and that's how can we work on this? What advice do you have for your clients who struggle with this or to our listeners or anybody like that? Like to kind of sum it up. Yeah. So kind of something I I thought of, I got the idea from a cognitive behavioral therapy exercise called the vertical thinking exercise, where people have a thought and then you keep asking yourself, why, 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 until you get down to kind of the root cause of that thought. So in this situation, we, you know, all of nothing thinking, we have a situation and like, I want people to like, think of their first extreme belief about the situation. You know, for example, like I had cupcakes at work today because it was someone's birthday. Like my first reaction is that I just messed up my whole day. And then taking a step back from that and like talking to yourself, like you're, you know, talking to a friend. You know, that's kind of like the stereotypical way to say it, but it does help me a lot. But, you know, what what's the actual rational belief in this situation? Like, oh, I enjoy this cupcake because it was Joe's birthday. Like he turned 50. That's cool. So is this one cupcake going to derail me? Really? No, it's not. You know, and then coming up with the solution. So how can I adjust the rest of my day to have fit this cupcake in? And then if I can't adjust the rest of my day to fit the cupcake in, what can I do in the future or what can I do tomorrow to help with that? And I think it's important because I I can see people being like, well, I just won't eat tomorrow. (laughs) But it's important to keep thinking in a really rational way and really, you know, whether you pretend that your coach is talking you through it or you're talking a friend through it, what's the best way forward that's going to be the most productive in the end, where it's not going to cause you to feel 
shame or to feel upset or to feel like a, a failure and to really think about like what you can learn from it. I think that ties into a podcast we did a while back on timelines and another important reason why you shouldn't set timelines on anything really. Like from a, a weight loss perspective, you say I want to lose 10 pounds in two months. Yeah, like a cupcake has a bigger impact on your ability to achieve that goal than if you're just like, I want to lose sustainable weight over time while like changing my lifestyle and my habits. Like a cupcake honestly is not going to make that big of a difference. It's not. It's like, what, 200, 300 calories, maybe a bit more. Like one day is not going to make or break you when you're in this for the long run. Like if your timeline is like, I need to lose a pound a week no matter what, like, yeah, maybe the cupcake will have an impact to be honest, especially, you know, if it's in more than a cupcake, something like that. But without a timeline, like the impact is so much less. And from a mindset standpoint, you don't feel like, like you said, not eat tomorrow to, to kind of get back on track for this timeline. It's the same thing with like running, like you miss a week because you're sick or because you went on vacation. Well, it's like, shoot, I'm running this race in eight weeks. Now I feel like I'm not going to be ready. Like it's possible that a week out of, you know, eight, is gonna have a pretty big impact. But if you're running for like two years and you're just kind of picking races out in the distance and you're slowly getting better and you're building your fitness over time, a week off isn't gonna make a difference at all. So it's another reason not to set these, even if they are realistic timelines in an ideal world, they still probably are gonna add a lot of pressure and, and potentially have the impact of setting you down the path of the all or nothing mindset. Mm -hmm, for sure, I think that's a great point. I always say to my clients like, how can we work on it? Like get rid of that. Don't ever say it. Don't ever type it. Don't all or something, all or something, all or something like that is your new mantra, all or something. And then another mantra on that is like, I don't like using swear words, especially in the podcast because kids might be in the car or whatever, but like always give a F like give an F like, you know, you had a cupcake. Okay. That doesn't mean you're, you're not going to just let loose on dinner. Like give a F about dinner, give an F about the next day. My last piece of advice, and these are just like, you know, little mantras that people like to write down or just to imagine me saying to them is never miss twice. Like if you miss a workout on Wednesday, Thursday, even if it's busy, do something, even if it's five minutes of burpees, because it checks the box, it keeps the habit going and it aligns with your values as a human being. Even if it's not everything, it still counts. And, and that just, it's like, I did that. I did that. And it doesn't, you don't have to quantify it or anything like that. It's just like, you didn't miss today and that's enough. And if you never miss twice, you're over 50%. And that's pretty good, actually. Much better than zero. Yeah. I think checking that box that says like, I give a shit about the thing that I say I give a shit about. That's a really important box to check. And I think with repetition, if, if you can get people to buy into some of these things and extend the timeline and start to see that imperfect consistency pays off. I just think that over time, people start to release themselves from this mindset because they start to see that like, I don't have to be perfect. And I'm a lot further along now with my imperfect approach than I've ever been with my perfectionism or with my all or nothing. But you got to get people to stick it out for long enough. And that's hard to do. And if you're someone who like gets stuck in these all or nothing sort of situations, having a coach or someone who you can talk to really helps just to like, hey, you stepped off the path. That's fine. It's not a mile away. You just have to sidestep back onto it. It's right there. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We all do it. Yeah. Sometimes I'll say to my clients, what can you do today? Like right now, tell me what you can do this afternoon to just make you feel a little bit more grounded in your values and, and who you want to be as a person and who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. It's that simple a lot of times. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's important to remember that, like, you know, I stated earlier that this way of thinking is a way to protect ourselves when really in the end it's not. So being able to work through these thought processes is the best way to protect yourself. Because if we're always all or nothing and doing the what the hell effect, like you give in and then you are feel upset. So you give in more, like it's just going to be a vicious cycle. So if we dig deep and really decide how we want to approach these situations, you know, you're going to find a lot more success and it's definitely annoying. It's definitely going to be hard work. And again, like having that coach there to help would be awesome, but you have to practice it like outside of that situation. Cause if you're in that situation without having that practice and it's going to be very, very difficult. So, you know, working through these things before they actually occur, then it's in your head. Then you have tools for the toolbox and you know how you can adjust when you need to, but it will keep you from jumping off that ledge. Yeah. yeah. A simple question that you can ask yourself is on Monday when you have, you know, your week laid out and it's looking great. A simple question is what challenges could arise that will impact my ability to achieve all of these things on, you know, each day, whether it's hitting my macros, preparing dinner, going to the grocery, like, and when they arise, if they do arise, what will I do? How can I, you know, Meredith hates this word, but how can I pivot? How can I adjust? It's a really good mental exercise. And so when it comes up, then you can say, oh, I remember I have a frozen meal in the freezer. I'm going to just whip that up for dinner tonight. I'm glad I thought that through, or I'm glad I froze leftovers from Sunday night or whatever it may be. You might miss, you might not foresee challenges, but like the more you do it, the more you just, you know how to adjust for any challenge because you've adjusted so much. It takes time, but over time, you just get better at it. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that a lot of times like when these challenges come up, like they're not coming out of left field, I would say 98% of the time. You know, I always ask my clients that too, like any roadblocks you see this week, like it's always on the radar, but because we're trying to avoid feelings of being overwhelmed and stressed out, we just tend to block it out until it happens. And then we're all of a sudden way more stressed than because the situation's here, we don't know what to do. So again, just, you know, asking yourself, looking ahead, seeing what's going on and how you can adjust before it happens. Yeah. The secret continues to be planning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The other day when we were moving, we had Wendy's for dinner because it was like 9 p.m. And we had moved all day and we had no food. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I'm like, you know, sometimes if I see Wendy's in a food log, and I think historically, like three years ago, I'd say like, you know, it would have been great if you had planned ahead and maybe had a meal ready or whatever. And now I think because maybe I'm just like a lot busier with work and my life is different than it used to be. I'm not just like, you know, in university or whatever, where I have more time on my hands, I have more responsibilities as an adult. Sometimes like the answer is Wendy's. Sometimes the answer is like, yeah, I just went to McDonald's. Like that was the best I could do. That was better than not eating. And I think there's a lesson in there. And I kind of came to this conclusion myself. And it's, you don't have to assess every single thing. Like, was that bad? Was that good? It just was. And you can move on the next day. And like, if you need to say, you know, something small, like I rarely eat fast food to make yourself feel better. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to get a really nutrient dense few meals in. That's fine. It doesn't need to be this like, thing. Not everything has to be a thing that's so exhausting to think about it. And sometimes with my clients, I don't even ask them about their nutrition. You know, I'll say like, how was your weekend? What was the best part? And they're like, well, did you see my logs? And I'm like, yeah. But, you know, we, we talk about your logs every single day. You know, today, let's just talk about life. 
So that's kind of another tidbit that struck me this weekend. Yeah. And I think another thing that had just popped in my head is that the more you kind of practice these things, the easier it is. So then when in the beginning, it may feel like you're planning every single step of your life, but at some point you're going to get to the point where it's second nature to be able to pivot, to make that adjustment without a second thought. And getting to that point is like, you know that you made it. <laughs> like you worked, you did all that hard work to be able to live in this gray area and to live your life without having it every second be planned out or having everything figured out right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, we're human. Gray is good. I love gray. It's the best color. <laughs> it is. It's all the colors mixed together. Mm-hmm. Right? I that's just a, made that up. Is that true? Well, that's a Dave Matthews band lyric. Oh, yeah. That's how I know Street, that. Great yeah. song. Well, this was a really great conversation. Thanks for letting me have it. You're welcome. We talk about this stuff all the time, just me and Alex. So it's nice to have a third party to discuss it with. Yeah. And it's it's such a common struggle. So I, I really hope that people get a lot out of this episode. It was just packed full of goodies. So you, you also did a write-up and there's a worksheet that will be coming out along with this podcast in email. So make sure you're signed up for the email list to get that. And yeah, I think every single one of us probably out there has slipped into the all or nothing mentality. So just becoming more mindful of and aware of it is the first step into getting back into the all or something. Yeah. And I think if you want to work through that worksheet, that'd be awesome. Like maybe you don't know what your the rational belief is or the solution, then talk to your coach and work it through it with your coach. I mean, that's why we, we're here because we want to help you be able to get to those points. Actually, I do have something, one more thing to add. And this isn't kind of another thing that I've, I've learned. I, I do sometimes tend to catastrophize things more on like a, a life standpoint, emotional standpoint, not so much nutrition and fitness, but it's like, oh, you know, this is happening. I'm very stressed. It's, you know, she doesn't love me anymore. Whatever, if, you know, if it's a relationship thing and something that's really helped kind of get back into that logical thinking and get out of that emotional brain is to write things down. And I think that's why a worksheet can be really helpful. And and one thing that I've learned is it allows you to check the facts. Like, it's not like, what do I believe? What is my brain thing? It's like, what is actually happening? Like, what are the actual facts? And writing those down allows you to kind of get outside of your own brain and like that weird emotional state that we can get into and be like, okay, it's not that bad. Like, it's not that bad. And like, am I in control of like a productive path forward? And most of the time we are. So that's kind of encouraging people to take out a pen and a paper old school and and jot some things down. It it's, can be really, really helpful, even if it sounds silly. And, you know, we're not in grade school anymore, but it, as adults, we just don't do that enough. And I think it can be a really great exercise. Yeah, I love that. Cool. Well, I'm sure we'll talk to you again on the podcast in a few months. But in the meantime, good luck with your exam. And hopefully you don't choose the medical path and you continue helping us with our clients and, you know, the fun stuff, the mindset stuff. Yeah. (laughs) No, I definitely don't plan on doing that medical craziness. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.